Let me invite you this morning to find your sermon notes. You can follow along as we go. And take a look at the questions on the right. I'll refer to those a little bit as well this morning so that we might live out the message. So not long ago, I was uh, talking to my wife and I I asked her, uh, how many great preachers do you think there are in the world? And she said, "Uh, one less than you think there is. So we want to talk a little bit about greatness this morning. And well, it really depends on, on who it is that you ask for the definition. So if you were to ask Wall Street, for example, what is the secret to greatness? Wall Street would probably say money, money and lots of it. If you ask Washington, what is the secret to greatness? They might say political clout and lots of it. Or if you asked Hollywood, what is the secret to greatness? They might say fame and lots of it. But if we asked the greatest person who has ever lived by, by any definition, by any meaning, by any stretch of the imagination, if we asked Jesus, what is the secret to greatness? He would say that the person who wants to be great must be the servant of all. The kingdom of God is far different than planet Earth. Here on earth, we climb the rungs of success to get to the top. But in the kingdom of God, we climb the rungs of service. Only then would we consider to be great. In fact, Jesus said, as he calls himself the Son of Man, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the most powerful and almighty God, even he who deserves it, didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to even give his life as a ransom for all the people who would trust in him. So as we talk about the being challenge and all of these other habits, prioritizing prayer and and seeking solitude, committing to community and to the church, We need to look at service and what a mature Christian, a follower of Jesus, finally develops into. I have a question here in your notes. You can flash it up there. And it is the question for the day. Ask yourself this. Are you more interested in being served in the church or are you more interested in being a servant in the church? Good question, isn't it? You see, our human tendency is to want to get rather than to give. And it makes no difference whether it's at home or in the family, in the community, or in church. We we often join a church for what it's going to do for us, what it's going to give to us. We had a first grade teacher, and she asked her students what they did at home to serve. And you can imagine, kind of like we did here this morning, you know, what's your gift? You phrase it is in, how do you serve at home? You get a lot of answers. One little girl said, well, I put the dishes away after dinner. Good thing. A little boy said, I sweep the floor once a week. Another said, I take care of the dog. And she went around the room and she asked all of them and everyone had an answer. Some of them duplicate as they often do. But there was one little boy in the back, little Danny. He never said anything. So she finally pointed him out, Danny, what do you do at home to serve? 
And he says, I just try to stay out of the way, right? Unfortunately, way too many followers of Jesus take that kind of an attitude. In fact, Gallup says that in the church, of all churches, of all believers, only 10% of those who attend church actually serve in it. So we want to ask again, are you more interested in being served in the church or are you more interested in being a servant in the church? Well, I hope that by the end of this message, you'll know what the answer is and you'll know what your answer is and that you will see at least two things. Number one, that God expects you to minister to others and that he also equips you. He doesn't just expect it, but he gives you the tools in the training to minister to others. So it begins there, God created everything for a purpose. God doesn't waste energy. He made all things for a purpose, everyone specifically. So you then were created for a purpose. Now let's do a little quiz here. We'll kind of go through some animals. These are easy. Uh, Let's begin with a bee. All right, a bee. What is the purpose of a bee, anyone? What's the purpose of a bee? Uh, To make honey and to pollinate. Right, that's a bee's purpose. How about a bird? Could be many things, but what are some? What's a bird's purpose? They eat bugs. They fly. They sing, which is a beautiful thing, except at 5 o'clock in the morning, not so much. Bees. What about dogs? We had our comfort dog here. What's the purpose of a dog? protection, companionship. How about a cat? You're right, there is no purpose for a cat. None whatsoever. Uh, And what about a bear? Purpose of bears? Bears are just here to disappoint us. Right? Ah, there we go. Ah. (laughs) And you, my friends, were created for ministry. That's your purpose. You are here to serve so that the body of Christ might be built up. Now, it's true that I am the senior pastor of this church, but I am not the only minister. All of you are ministers. All of those who came to our earlier services this morning are ministers. All of those who are watching online are ministers. All the members of our church are meant to be ministers. It doesn't mean that you work full-time in a church, but it does mean that you are called to serve God all the time. It says here, you belong to him in Romans 7 in order that we, you, might be useful in the service of God. You see, minister in the Bible means servant. The same root word. We've heard it before, deacon is the same word as minister. It means one who is to serve. A deaconess, it's one who is meant to serve. Now, in the Latin, you see it just as well. What's the root in minister? Looks like minus. Math majors, what does minus mean? It is less than. And so our role is to look at others as greater than ourselves, Worthy then to be served. Now, ironically, the same grace 
same grace that God uses create faith in our hearts, claim us as his children to win our salvation, that same grace God uses to create ministers as well. I mean, think about it. The God of the universe who humbled himself, who came down to this earth, who took on our sin, who went to the cross to die so that we can have a relationship with our Father in heaven forever. That same God through that grace, also enables you, gives you the privilege to serve in the church. So we begin with that. God expects you. That's the expectation. And that would be a wonderful thing, but if you don't have the power to do it, it falls flat. Well, the good news, God not only expects, but he equips every one of us to minister to others. Again, we have these words of Paul. He writes, it is he, meaning God, who gave some to be apostles, ambassadors, witnesses, some to be prophets, proclaiming the word of God, some to be evangelists, those good news tellers, and some, like me, to be pastors and teachers. For what purpose? To do all the ministry? No, it doesn't say that. The pastor isn't here to do the ministry, but rather to prepare you, the people of God, for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. And so, my job, here's a job description, conveniently in your notes, my job description. I am here to equip you and shepherd you. What does a shepherd do with the sheep? Leads them. 23rd Psalm. To the pasture full of the green grass, the word of God, beside the still waters to bring peace to you, to lead you in the right path, the path of righteousness that leads to God himself. So that's my job, to lead and to equip. Your job then is what? To do the ministry. Now let's take a look at that to see how this works. Now, experts say that it takes one pastor for every 100 people. Basically, you can lead about 100 people. All right? So how does that work here at Emmanuel? Does anybody know how many members we have? Any guesses? 700 who are here on a regular basis, right? So that's one out of Seven, right? So we should have how many pastors? Seven, but it's even more than that. How many actual members do we have? You may not know this. Any guesses? We have about 1,800 members. Some of them have strayed, perhaps. (laughs) They're not all here every Sunday. How many pastors would it take then to take care of 1,800 members? Do the math. This is not difficult. 18. How many of these are there? One. So it doesn't mean that you have a great pastor. What it means is is that this church understands how to do ministry. You think I can minister to 1,800 people? Say no. Do you think I can minister to 700 people? Say no. 
Do you think I can even minister to 100 people? Say no again. You see, I learned long ago that if I were to try and do that, I would not be very effective. I certainly would not be very efficient. There is not enough time in the day, the week, the month, the year, the decade to do all of that. And so years ago, Emmanuel, as a congregation, decided to adopt a structure where you biblically do the ministry. That is why over the years, at least in my experience, there has been very little conflict in the church. Now, don't get me wrong. I know we all have conflicts. Even in the church, we have disagreements, even in the church. But we have not had anything major because we understand our roles. In an understanding, we all have to give something up. What do I give up? I can't minister to all of you. And what do you give up? You can't lead everything. There has to be one leader, and that is the pastor who sets the vision and equips all of you through the staff and through others to do the ministry. So this is what I want you to do this morning because you understand this and because we have so many, far more than the 10%, in most churches, which leads to conflict generally, because you are doing such a good job of serving. Can you give yourselves a round of applause? Go ahead and do that. And the people at home who are clapping in the kitchen, if you're in the living room and you don't know why, go in and ask, all right? God not only equips us, but he also gives us the equipment. We understand the structure but we also need the equipment. And so God also gives us gifts. Remember, the, the kids were up here and they, they talked about their different abilities. We all have natural ability, even unbelievers. Those who aren't following Jesus, have you seen people in the world who have gifts? Say, yes, raise your hand. Of course they do. God has given all people gifts, natural abilities. But as his followers, you get extra. We call them spiritual gifts. The good news is all of you have at least one. Most of you have several, even many. So raise your hand. You can do it boldly. How many of you know your spiritual gifts? Anybody? Come on now. A few of you. If you're not sure, kind of go like this. Maybe, sort of, kind of. Yeah, how do you know? How do you know what your gifts are? Well, you've tried out different things, and some things seem to work. Or maybe you've taken a spiritual gifts inventory or test or tool. Raise your hand if you've ever done that. Anybody done that? Well, wouldn't you just know it? We have one in our bulletin that you can do today. Hmm. If you've been reading along with the Being Challenged, there's one in there too. There's many different versions. It doesn't matter. Try it out. You can use a QR code and it will tell you in about five minutes what your gifts might be. So I did the test. I've done several. I've done several over the years. And it suggests that my three leading gifts are just that, leading, teaching, and knowledge. And so I ought to be using them, right? Don't you think? Just like you ought to be using yours. It's kind of like Christmas time. Anybody looking forward to Christmas? Raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah, I'll just skip Halloween and Thanksgiving. Let's go right to Christmas, Okay. I love Christmas. I love the gifts. One of my love languages is gifts. The other is words of affirmation. 
So at the end of the service, say, Pastor, good job, would you? All right, makes me feel better. <laughs> makes me want to come back next Sunday. All right. So I, I know that I love gifts. I love giving gifts. I love receiving gifts. Can you imagine it's Christmas time, and in your household, you have all these shiny presents. They're all wrapped up, and there are gifts inside. How would you feel on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve whenever you typically open those gifts? There you are and with all your children. You see all of these gifts, and you say, okay, that's it. Christmas is over. It's about the gifts, isn't it? The greatest gift of Jesus, the Savior of the world, the baby who has come to grow up and mature and give himself as a ransom for many. And we open the rest of the gifts, though, there as a reminder of what Jesus has done. How disappointing it would be if we never opened those gifts. And yet that's what so many people do. They don't know what their gift is, or if they do, they aren't using it. That's why so many people in the church get irritated, and they leave because they're not using their gifts. Well, we're here as a church to help you use your gift, the right gift, in the right way. There was a member of our church uh, this last week, and he asked me a question, a very important question, a pertinent question. It was, it was Monday, and it was at our golf league, and he said, Pastor, is it a sin to play golf on Sunday? And I said, I've seen you play. It's a sin for you to play golf any day of the week. We need to use our gifts in the right place at the right time, and that's why we are here as a staff and as leaders to help you. So imagine this, and I'll close with this. Imagine it's you're dead and you're in heaven. Don't spend a lot of time on the dead part. You're in heaven now, all right? And though there is no time in heaven, imagine in earth years, 50 years have elapsed. Are you with me? 50 years you have now been in heaven. And then one day you meet someone that you haven't seen before. They are brand new to heaven. And they say to you, I just want to thank you for the ministry that you did for me. And you're like, what? I I don't know what you're talking about. You've never met this person before. You don't remember them. And so you ask, of course, well, what is it that I did? And they say, well, you probably don't remember me, but I met you at Emmanuel or whatever church it might have been. You're the reason that I came back the next Sunday because you greeted me warmly. You had a smile on your face. You remembered my name the next Sunday. You're part of the reason why I came to faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you were the one who was the Sunday school teacher of a child, who told them the stories of God's love so that their faith blossomed and matured. Or maybe you were the one of those who were in the praise team and you provided the beautiful music 
that soothed their soul. Or maybe you were working at the sound booth and you think this is only a little thing that I am doing. And yet God says that there is nothing that you do in the work of the Lord that has no value. Everything that you do, no matter how small in serving others, builds up the body of Christ so that together we can share the love of Jesus Christ and reach out to those who otherwise would have no hope. You're calling as a minister is the greatest purpose that you could have. And so I pray together that you would unwrap those gifts and use them for the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand.